never say die! Hello, everybody, and welcome to 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and we're talking about Beauty and the Beast this week, a movie that's always held special affinity for me, because it's just like my life with my wife. Mostly because our small appliances and silverware won't shut the fuck up. (laughs) You didn't think I was going to do the tired roll reversal, I'm the beauty, she's the beast shit, did you? No, not with her in the room with you. (laughs) Right, yeah, I didn't think you were going to flip it either. Yeah, I like Beauty and the Beast. I I, I think you may have LSD in your water. It says it's cool. Shut the fuck up, Pat. (laughs) Fawcett's like, everything's fine, Josh. (laughs) Don't listen to the man in the box. Listen to us. Yes, I enjoy Beauty and the Beast, the story of Beauty and her three evil stepsisters. And the... uh, (laughs) And the angry ghost. The angry three angry ghosts, and what else happened? Oh, the Bride on the Pegasus, where they're in there with the dolphins, and... Her when dad. the blue lion showed up, you know, all the uh, all her father's boats are sunk because of the storm, and now he's broke. And then the beast gets turned into a beast because he refuses to marry his uh, fairy godmother. And then they all turn turn into NASCAR drivers. <laughs> you Dude, you well, I'm if you're joking. confused and <laughs> sort of enjoy the feeling, maybe you'd enjoy the podcast collective, where you can listen to such shows as the Coffin Joe Cast. Dating Baggage, I Am Salt Lake, The Empty Rant Podcast, and of course, The Rad Dad Radio Hour. Yep, and if you're looking for us on Saturdays at noon, you can find us on Geek Life Radio. True story, and you can always check out our archives on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, and other fine podcasting directories. And if somebody would please call. <laughs> yeah, the, the uh, voicemail line has been dead lately. Yeah, 708, oh. now wrap, 708-669-9727. Call us, let us know you're out there. You know. We know you're out there, we can hear you breathing. Yeah, we know you're out there, we can hear you not laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're doing all the laughing. Yeah. According to all the cameras I have, I know they're out there. Wait, what? No, those aren't, those are cereal boxes, Pat, and you have them stapled to a tree out in front of your house. Yes, but they're so vivid. They're great. Oh, Jesus. Here yeah, see, they're not laughing right now. <laughs> Which means it's about that time. Oh, God. This week in music, movies, and TV. And sports. Yeah, so today we're focusing on the 22nd of November, 1991, which was the release of Disney's Beauty and the Beast here nice. in the United States. The Eminem released the one you watch. Well, it was actually that one, the one that I, I, I have more to talk about the one that I watched, and it's really weird, but we'll get there. <laughs> he, he, we watched it after drinking some water from Josh's tap. <laughs> There's a unicorn. All right. Music. Top songs this week are When a Man Loves a Woman by Michael Bolton, Cream by Prince and the New Power Generation, and the acronym of the week, S-A-O-M-B. Well, of course, that's a Salvatore's anal orifice makes baguettes. <laughs> it's so French. <laughs> Salvatore is French? And Italian. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I need some cheese from a cottage. Someone give that guy a job at Panera Stat. 
so it's not that. I don't that. know what that is. I'm trying to think of what that is. Oh. PM Dawn. What the hell did, I don't even remember what they did. Oh, yeah, that's, uh, their, their hit set adrift on memory bliss. Oh, that's, yeah, okay. Yeah, here we go. Refresh your memories. Yep. That's why I didn't remember it. Yeah, pretty much. I actually really like that song, but you could have given me like 15 guesses and I couldn't have told you what it was called. Yeah. I never really cared for it. I thought it was kind of... I didn't hate it. It just was kind of there. Well, I mean... It's no Informer by Snow. But what is? Truly. Anything good is better. I was too busy listening to a song about Robin. Isn't that what it's about? The Boy Wonder. There you go. Oh, I thought it meant Robin Thicke. (laughs) <laughs> you. All right. November 24th, Freddie Mercury, lead singer of Queen, dies from AIDS-related complications at the age of 45. The same day, Eric Carr, formerly of KISS, also dies from complications of heart cancer. Not related. Man, that's not metal at all. Man, 45. Think about how how close we are to that. Yeah, that's next. that's this year for me, man. Thanks. Yeah, I just saw a post on social media that uh, made me sad, talking about how incredible Disney movies would be if Freddie Mercury was still alive and doing the soundtracks. That would be amazing. Oh, could you imagine Freddie Mercury doing the soundtrack to The Incredibles? I'd pay to watch it. Wait, I already did. But uh, I also read another article on there that they were uh, talking about him, that after he had found out that it was the end was coming. He spent all his time recording as much as possible so they had enough tracks to keep putting out a couple keep putting out the albums that they were working on. And as much of a downer as this topic is, it's kind of relevant to Beauty and the Beast, considering that uh I think it was Howard Ashman uh was in charge of the uh I might have his name wrong. The guy was in charge of the, the uh music. Oh yeah. Yeah one of the uh one of the guys who wrote the music for um for the 1991, totally lost the name. It is Howard Crud. I just lost. Hessman. No, no, it's not the John Duck. P- no, no, you're going to be wrong again. You should stop. Howard, Howard uh, Cunningham. Let me see here. I'm. I'm not. I got I'm not. Oh, Howard. <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> not, none you're... of those guys. Not, oh, no. yes. And it'll. We're going to waste all this time and find out that I was. I was probably pretty close. Yeah. So anyway. Yes, uh, but he uh, envisioned the tragedy of the beast in the context of a uh, gay man dying from AIDS. That was his uh, metaphor for the uh, rose petals slowly falling away. Hmm. I have never heard that. Oh yeah, Not either. he passed away. He uh, was pretty much single-handedly uh, responsible for uh, Disney musicals coming out of their slump. Okay. You know the Queen, on a t- different subject, Queen is the only band where all four members have written a number one song? Really? Huh. I'm not surprised, but that's Even cool. the Beatles didn't do that because Ringo never wrote a number one song. Oh, I was I was right the first time. It's Howard Ashman. Oh, very cool. That's so it wasn't Howard the Duck? No. no. And uh, yeah, he, pa- he passed away in 1991, so. Hmm. All right. 
Uh, also this week, we see the release of Achtung Baby by U2 and Cool Hand Loke by Tone Loke. Summing up a great week of music. Yeah, right. Oh, that Loke album's not bad. I'm, I'm, I am not a Tone Loke fan. That's funny. I'm not a U2 fan. <laughs> Neither am I. I love U2. Aw, thanks, oh, Pat. dude. <laughs> the band, dummy. I don't, I don't like U2 at all. Oh, Jesus. Aww. Well, oh, you're wrong twice. Yeah, way to keep. <laughs> Great. Now we got AIDS, death, and friends breaking friendships. So that's awesome. Let's keep this moving. <laughs> and Bono. <laughs> Jesus. Um, I don't care for Bono. I just like you too. Moving on to movies. Ruling the box office this week, we have The Adams Family, Cape Fear, The People Under the Stairs, Frankie and Johnny, and My Girl, which had a lot of buzz around the death of Macaulay Culkin's character. Ah, I see what you did there. <laughs> nice. I was obsessed with The Adams Family movie when it came out. It's a good movie. I've never seen it. Really? The only all Julia? Out of all five of those movies, the only one I've seen is My Girl. Oh. You chose poorly. I know, right? <laughs> That movie's a steaming pile. Yeah, which is why I didn't see the other ones. I was like, nope. That no, was... I don't know what that means. It's, when me and my buddies in high school used to go see movies like every other weekend. So I saw Cape Fear and the people under the stairs in the theater. Yeah. And um, to this day, there's an inside joke between me and Matt Brown from Cape Fear because of it. That's a great movie. Because he tries to rape you on a boat? Yikes. <laughs> Well, I, I know you your too. relationship with Matt. I don't know, man. I mean, maybe you just guys went fishing or something. <laughs> uh, right around the time this came out, uh, a little bit before, I actually went to high school with the, the girl from My Girl. She oh, was I a, remember that. Yeah, Anna she was a Klum- freshman. Hmm? Anna Klumski. Yeah, she was a freshman when I was a senior. That you were going to say with Raul Julia. <laughs> <laughs> it's high school Julia. No, that's Pat. Yeah, yeah Pat. Oh. No, you gotta see the Adams family. It's it is actually I think one of Raw Julia's it, it was made for he was made for that for that role. And it is so nineties that it has a theme song by MC Hammer. Yep. Yep. And don't let I think that, that theme song might be why I never saw the movie. It probably <laughs> is, but I'm not kidding, yeah. I, I think I just I hated that song and that video. It's like fuck that movie. No, you gotta see it. Raw Julia as Gomez is fantastic. And it has a line from it that I, I use a lot where Wednesday is they're trying to sell her Girl Scout cookies. And she says, but does it have real Girl Scouts in it? Love it. How do you find yourself in a situation where you use that a lot? <laughs> <laughs> he, he has a lot of Girl Scouts tied up in his basement. I, hey, next up on movies. <laughs> I have gone somewhere, somewhere <laughs> dark. <laughs> Uh, Werner Herzog's most used leading actor, Klaus Kinski, died on November 23rd of a sudden heart attack at his home in Lagunitas, California, at the age of 65. His body was cremated and his ashes were scattered into the Pacific Ocean. He was survived by his daughters, Pola and Nastasia, and his son, Nikolai. Only Nikolai attended his father's funeral. Wow. That's rough. I know the name, but I couldn't pick Klaus Kinski out of a crowd. Oh, yeah, you could. He'd be the dead one. Oh, think, oh, yeah. No, he wouldn't. He'd be the dust on the ground. He's the guy in the ashtray. <laughs> and I think most people know Werner Herzog more for his voice than for his directorial or acting abilities, because he's got a very distinct voice, if you've ever... Well... Oh, okay. He was a guy who... W- wait a minute. Klaus Kinski? 
Yeah, you no, know, Klaus Kinski, I'm I'm looking at him and I've seen him in a few things. Yeah, the Aguirre Wrath of God is actually a pretty good movie, and he was also in for a uh, full dollars more. He was the hunchback dude. <laughs> yeah. And he does uh he plays Count Dracula in 1979's Nosferatu the Vampire. Yeah, he kind of looks like the original actor a little bit. Yeah. He's got those kind of like buggy eyes going on. Yeah. All right, moving on. Ralph Bellamy, actor from Rosemary's Baby, His Girl Friday, and Trading Places, died of lung cancer on November 27th. Jeez, we're at like half death. We're only to movies. There's a lot of death in this tweet. Ah, but there's something else in sports. Ralph Bellamy uh, was one of the two brothers in Trading Places, the the, um, Mortimer and... Oh, crap. Um, Wasn't he in Belle Biv DeVoe? Oh, wait, no. What? No, those, and those characters uh, carried over to coming, coming to, America. to America. Yeah, yeah, they're the two uh, homeless guys. Yeah, yeah what, why can't I think of his name? <laughs> Mortimer and his brother, Lessimer. So, uh, also, <laughs> so his girl Friday is uh, kind of relevant to us, also. Oh yeah, based his girl Friday based off the book, uh, the front or the play, the front page. Which, uh, th- you were looking for Mortimer and Randolph Duke? Randolph, thank you. Damn it. I was close. Duke and Duke Associates. I gotta take a Duke. Turn <sighs> those machines back on. <laughs> All right, so TV this week sees the end of a cartoon classic. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, starring the voices of Kinal Reeves, Alex Winter, and George Carlin. Uh, but only in the first season, and it only lasted two seasons. So, Imagine that. I know. Also canceled this week was the, for some reason, everybody wants to see it in 1991 now, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes cartoon. I vaguely remember both of those. And I actually thought that the Bill and Ted's cartoon wasn't too bad. No. It was all right. It was all right. But I think the big thing that made it was the fact that it was their voices. And then they got some, uh, you know, bargain basement ones afterwards. And I think went to pot. Literally. Yes. <laughs> um. On November 17th, the first ever televised condom commercial aired on Fox. Trojan bought a 15-second ad spot during episode of Herman's Head, which is a TV show I haven't thought of in probably since 1992. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be the most 90 sentence we've said in the last few minutes that doesn't involve MC Hammer. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> wow, Herman's Head, man, I haven't thought of that. That show is so 90s. God, William Ragsdale, Hank Azaria. Mm-hmm. Good God. Was Martin Mole in that one too? No. There was something like that where Martin Mole played, you know, anyway, one of an ensemble character. Yeah. Hmm. I'm babbling. Yes, you are. Also, uh, Ellen Cleghorn, Melanie Hutchell, and Beth Cahill joined the cast of Saturday Night Live this week. I don't know who those people are. Ellen Cleghorn. Yeah, you'd recognize Ellen Cleghorn. Yeah, she was out of the three. She was the only one oh, that got yeah. any screen time, and she didn't deserve it either. Okay, yeah, recognize. Yeah, her. kind of forgettable. Oh, yeah, yeah, but I mean, she was a good filler bit player for sketches. She yeah. wasn't as bad as uh, some of those others. No, she's no Kate McKinnon. Well, this is. I mean, I remember when we did the uh, Saturday Night Live show. This is where we were all discussing it. it. Made kind of a dip in this poor this portion of its existence. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about that everyone wants to idolize the 90s period, and they forget that it wasn't all Wayne's World and the Church Lady. A lot of it just sucked. Yeah, but yeah the early 90s was the, the dark ages. 
You had to deal with Victoria Jackson. They were dark times. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Sports. Sports. Uh, a right-handed opening batsman, Pakistani cricketer Ahmed Shahzad, is pushed from his mother's sticky wicket <laughs> at some point during this week in an undisclosed date. It was it was November 23rd. So I couldn't <laughs> find a 21st thing, so I kept it. But it was close enough. Well, I mean, it's within five days of the date. Either way. Either way. Plus, it made a funny joke to me. So True. Sticky wicket. Martin Lopez Zubero swims to a world record with a 200-meter backstroke. Well, all right, then. Yeah. I'm not reading the rest of that. Why? I back that decision. No. <laughs> uh, Evander Holyfield retains his heavyweight boxing title by knocking out Burt Cooper in seven rounds. Ernie was not amused. I read that one for you. <laughs> Jesus Christ, is that entire thing just to set up you doing that stupid laugh? <laughs> no, I just thought of it at the last minute. Oh. And you deleted, apparently, the, the my next one, so... Yeah, because it yeah. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to write jokes for you anymore, then. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, why, why am I going to make fun of, like, football when I actually, you know, it's a sport that I enjoy? Why am I, I going to read that? Yeah. If you did sports, you could read it. Read, okay, read that sentence and tell your joke. Go ahead. Nope. Moving no, on. Do it. No, Next do, it. Line. do it. Next line. I'm do it. Do it. I'm muting do it. myself. Do it. Johnny Walker Black, do it. Jesus Christ. What the <laughs> hell is wrong with you two? <laughs> Brigham Young's Ty Detmer finishes his NCAA career with a record 4,031 yards passed in a season and 15,031 for career. Because football. That was the joke. Or whatever. Something. Yeah. No. <laughs> Just move on. <laughs> <laughs> Prior Erskine Waverly Jones was a West Indian cricketer who played in nine tests from 1947 to 48 and 1951 to 52. A fast bowler, Jones played first-class cricket for the Trinidad from 1940 to 41 and 50-51. Uh-oh. <laughs> he toured India with the West Indian team in 1948-49, England in 1950, and played his last first-class matches on tour to Australia and New Zealand in 1951-52. His best test figures were 5 for 85 against India at Bombay in 1948-49. His best first-class figures were 7 for 29 against Yorkshire in 1950. And his best match figures were 10 for 62, 4 for 39, and 6 for 23 against Ceylon in 1948-49. He also captained Trinidad at soccer. He also died on November 21st. <laughs> Saw that coming. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, we caught. We had a couple of weeks where he didn't have a whole heck of a lot of death going on in there, and he just so had to catch up. up. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> All right. So, Joel, closing music. Thank you. Not, 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 not. <laughs> All right. So, on to the main show. So, yeah, we're closing out our uh, two-week look at Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. So, for that, I tossed in a little bit about the actual story because I started watching that janky Amazon uh, Prime. Beauty and the Beast that was on there that um, literally there was Pegasus, there were whales and dolphins. And initially I, you know, really confused about the whole situation when, you know, the father discovers that all of his shipping boats have been destroyed. And it's, well, Beauty and the Beast was a traditional fairy tale was written by a French novelist, Gabrielle Suzanne Barbeau de Villevue. That's a heck of a name, but it was published originally in 1740 in a uh, magazine called La Jeune Américaine et les Contines Marines, which is Young American and the Marine Tales. 
Now, here's the thing. In this tale, Beauty was one of six children in the house. She wasn't a single, you know, there wasn't just her and her dad. There was a dad that had three boys, three girls, and she was the, they called her Beauty because she was the prettiest out of all the girls. And all the other... Wait, isn't that rude to all the other girls? I know, right? Which may explain why they all treated her like a servant. Initially, I thought I was watching uh, Cinderella when I was watching the, the janky one that had like... Uh, all the music was in public domain and that sort of thing. Um, well, it turns out that what I was watching on that one was actually closer to the original story than the Beauty and the Beast that we watched. Huh. There's actually the father, uh, his, he owns shipping. He has uh, shipping, uh, shipping ships. And they get <laughs> destroyed in a storm. And he becomes, uh, uh, become, they all become poor. He just later on discovers that one of his ships was made it goes out to the port to to see it then realizes that they took everything on the ship to pay for his debts and now they're back to being poor but before he left his kids had thought that he was going to be rich again so they're all asking all the boys are asking for swords and guns and that sort of thing and the girls are asking for dresses and that and the youngest daughter beauty just asks for a single rose on the way back he gets caught in a winter storm winds up at the castle, and on the way out, plucks the rose. So the beast shows up and then tells him that he must exchange what's most precious for him for that rose, or otherwise he's going to kill him. So he winds up sending Beauty to live back, live with the beast, where he lavishes her with these dresses, wonderful food, all this other stuff. Now, here's where it gets kind of it gets kind of dark, because the uh, Beauty starts to miss her family, and he sends her home with a magic mirror and a ring and all her beautiful clothes. She goes back home. The older daughters take the clothes from her, but then discover when they put them on, they turn to rags. So now they're, because Beast has said it, so only she can wear these clothes. But she's supposed to return back to Beast after a week. Now the the sisters then convince beauty that they missed her so much by rubbing onions in their eyes to make themselves cry what? yeah she stays there longer and this causes beast to start to die then she sees beast in the mirror dying and then she goes back to him and there's there's no walking talking sinks or anything like that it's all like invisible servants in the in the castle but then she goes back to the beast cries over his corpse he becomes a prince again blah da 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 but i mean i I, you know, you see these, like, I call them grandma videos because it's, like, just close enough, you know, like Peter's Pan or something like that. You know, it's close enough that you will usually wind up getting that from your grandmother for Christmas because she didn't really read the box close enough. Right. It's Disney with a Z, you know, that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, the this janky story that I thought was on Amazon Prime is actually closer to the original story than uh, the Disney version was. Huh. So, yeah, it reaches back to the original French version of the fairy tale. Yeah, yeah, it really does. It, it goes huh. all the way back. And, um, and what I said earlier about um, the uh, about the beast getting turned into a beast because they're one of the stories. Yeah, the, the Villeneuve, there's a, somebody rewrote a story because apparently the original Beauty and the Beast was a very long tale and somebody cut it down and they... The original tale that Villeneuve took from, they give a backstory of Beauty and the Beast. And the 
Beast was a prince who lost his father at a young age and whose mother had to wage war to defend the kingdom. The queen left him in the care of an evil fairy who tried to seduce him, and then when he when he became an adult and when he refused, she transformed him into the beast. Wow. Yeah. And then Beauty's so, story, wait, 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 reveals that she's not really the merchant's daughter, but the offspring of a king and a good fairy. And then there's like a whole bunch of murder and bloodshed past that. I mean, it's really crazy. And they also believe, ready for this one, that the beast is based off of an actual person. Okay. Yeah, I saw that on Netflix, the story of Petrus Gonsalves. Yes. Yeah. He was he had uh, hypertrichosis and had abnormal growth of hair on, on his face and body, and he was welcomed into Paris by King Henry II under the protection of the king and then married a, a Parisian woman named Catherine. Hmm. So there's a lot behind this story that I started reading about after watching this janky one, but... Uh, yeah, we just started uh, a uh, fairy tales and folklore unit. Uh, for listeners that don't know, I've returned back to school. Uh, and in one of my college classes, we're looking at this stuff. And a lot of these fairy tales were not originally written for children. They were written for adults. And, yeah, there's a lot of blood and uh, dark themes. And fairies marrying their stepsons. Yeah. So that the, uh, your your version that you just I, I didn't actually know it, but it does not surprise me in the slightest. Yeah. So, but we watched the Disney version, which is <laughs> happy and clappy, and has songs, and there's foils, and, and uh, no Jews. Hey, one hundred percent fewer ghosts. Yes. <laughs> Less ghosts and no evil fairies marrying their their stepsons. So. Uh, this one's a young woman whose father has been imprisoned by a terrifying beast offers herself in his place. Arr. Unaware that her captor is actually a prince, physically altered by a magic spell. So this is directed by Gary Trousdale and Kirk Wise, who both went on after this to do Hunchback in Notre Dame and Atlantis, The Lost Empire. One of those I actually like. <laughs> I've never seen either one. Atlantis yeah, I like is pretty Hunchback. good. Oh, see, I'm not a big fan of Hunchback, but I liked Atlantis. Huh. Hey, you got your hunchback in my Atlantis. (laughs) You put your Atlantis in my hunchback. No, I didn't. Okay, so (laughs) it stars Robbie Benson as Beast. These are all voices, obviously. Uh, Mm -hmm. Jesse Corti as LeFou. Rex Everhart as Maurice. Angela Lansbury as Mrs. Potts. Paige O'Hara as Belle. Jerry Orbach as Lumiere. Bradley. Talk about a big surprise if you didn't know it. I know, right? So we'll, we'll we'll get to that. Bradley Pierce as Chip, David Odgen Steers as Cogsworth, Richard White as Gaston, and Joanne Worley as the Wardrobe. Um, you may know Joanne Worley from you know the Match Game and uh, uh, Hollywood Squares, ten thousand dollars. She was like a standard person that shows up on that. Please, anybody? I'm trying to we'll think sh- of her. I'm trying to I look her up. I don't remember her specifically from an episode, but. I've seen plenty of those shows. Oh, you, you look at her face. I just put her link to the IMDb. You look at her face. You'll know her exactly who she is. But in the meantime, Josh, you brought up Jerry Orbach as mm-hmm. Lumiere, um, otherwise known as that guy from Law and Order. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, it is or, the guy. Dirty Dancing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the guy who played Lenny Briscoe in uh, Law and Order. Um, the guy who put Baby in a corner. Right. Uh, who knew? He is a trained stage actor and music and uh, singer. I and didn't know he was a singer, but I I thought he might have done. Well, he seems like a stage actor to me. But well, he was in Chicago. 
Is he a Steppenwolf guy? I think he might have been. But he uh, he did uh he did um Chicago. No, he's no, he's born in the Bronx. He he uh did a lot of stage acting and he was at the he was at U of I and at Northwestern. And then he huh. but I've seen I've seen cuts of him singing there's I forget what, what song it was from Chicago where he's got no he sang the whole thing in his boxer shorts. But uh <laughs> yeah. But no, he honestly uh, he was a great voice for this one. I mean it completely all the songs that had him and him as lead, like be our guest was just fantastic. Yeah. I never would have, if, I mean, I've seen that before, but I, I still, I never even realized it when I was watching it this time. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know it was Jerry Orbach. Yeah. It's one of the most iconic Disney songs of all time. Oh yeah. And here he is. (laughs) So want to get into some trivia? Yeah, let's roll with this. All right. So, uh, Angela Lansbury, the voice of Mrs. Potts, the teapot, thought that another character would be better suited to sing the ballad Beauty and the Beast. Uh, they asked her to make at least one recording to have a backup in case nothing else worked. And she sang it, and they were like, okay, that's good. Let's just run with that. Uh, did you see, I think it was last year, uh, she did a live performance uh, for the anniversary. Oh, and sang hmm. it? Yeah, and s- sang it again. Nice. It's pretty awesome. Still got her, still got her pipes. Oh yeah, it was great. Nice, and she could sing too. Yeah, well, they picked. I mean, she's if uh, what's uh, the other Disney she was in? Uh, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. She sang a lot in, in that one, also. So yeah, the hippity bippity bop. No, that's <laughs> that's uh, Cinderella. That's bippity boppity boo. Oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, bippity bippity boo bop. That's so you're, honey, you're honey, thinking honey, about of transubstantiation locomotion where she makes all the uh, knights in armor march around and attack the Nazis. You gotta see it. Anyway. Um, (laughs) Nope, never seen it. (laughs) The smoke that's seen during the transformation at the end is actually real smoke, not animated, and that smoke track, I guess would be the best way to put it, was originally used in the Black Cauldron back in 1985 and was reused for Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, it's not the only recycling they did either. If you're paying attention in the final scene where they're dancing after the transformation, uh, Sarah actually pointed this out to me. They reused crowds from Sleeping Beauty, which is why uh, you've got almost everyone's uh, Renaissance or post-Renaissance France, and then you've got this crowd full of like medieval Britain. Yeah, didn't notice that. Yeah, they were hoping you wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, reused cells, and it's far enough back. Plus, you're not looking at the crowd; you're looking at Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, the smoke. Uh, let's say just uh, up until 2009 with Disney Pixar's Up uh, when was nominated in 2010. This is the only animated film to be nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture. So, this one and Up. Pat, have you seen Up? Yep. Great movie. First five minutes, best love scene in Hollywood, just about. Yeah, agreed. If you're not broken up by the first after the first five minutes, you are not human. One one of the top ten romances in all of Hollywood. The first five minutes of Up. Yep. So uh, also in the Chinese Mandarin dub of the film, Jackie Chan performed the voice acting and singing for the Beast. And he did the stunts, even though they didn't ask him to. The fact that uh, he did the singing doesn't surprise me at all because the school where he uh, trained as an actor and martial artist was also uh, a school of opera. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he was in it with Sammo Hung and some of the guys who are still working today. So they're all trained 
and a song and dance. Nice. As a complete aside, have you guys seen the video where they they surprised Jackie Chan with his all his original stuntmen for the Jackie Chan stunt team showed up at it was like the 25th anniversary and like he's standing in front and they have his current team behind him and when he doesn't realize that they raise the curtain behind him and it's everybody that's ever been in his stunt crew and he had no idea that they were there and he's like he keeps talking and talking and at one point he just turns around to like point to one of his guys and he realizes everybody's there and he just loses it oh that's awesome yeah, yeah i think they may have played part of that clip during the academy awards oh nice nice uh, you skipped one mike uh, they said the majority of the sculptures in the castle are earlier versions of the beast oh yeah I, yeah that's probably a, storyboards and stuff like yeah, that. That, yeah. that oh cool that's exactly. so like the concept art and whatnot they turned yeah. into the statues mm-hmm. they turned yeah. into gargoyles and that sort of thing on the outside of the uh outside of the castle and why did they use uh why did they reuse crowds from cinderella this <laughs> is why the movie uses 1295 different painted backgrounds and over it's 120,000 cells which is insane which is yeah. why I respect animators so much. This, this just was, the work that goes into it. Yeah, oh, yeah, this was one of the most complex Disney movies ever. Yeah. And then the uh, actress and writer Sherry Stoner, best known for voicing Slappy the Squirrel on Animaniacs, was used as the live-action uh, body model for Belle. Hmm. Yeah, you could see that some of it must have been traced from a live actress. If I married her, I would keep her last name. Just saying. Ah, Patrick Stoner. Mm. Yep. So as I was telling you guys, and I may have mentioned on a previous show, uh, this was one of the movies that I kind of didn't pay a whole lot of attention to because I went through a phase where if it wasn't Aladdin and it was from Disney, I I didn't bother with it. And I ended up missing out on uh, a whole bunch of great Disney movies I came to appreciate decades later. Um. But yeah, I this rewatching it for the show was the second time I had ever seen Beauty and the Beast complete. I'd seen videos of the songs a dozen or more times, so I knew the songs pretty well. But like as a movie beginning to end, this was the second time I'd ever seen it. Hmm. Wow, my sister can recite the entire movie, and there's a reason for that. Because in, back when I was working at the video store and it came out, we watched that damn movie. <laughs> It was like my, it was like my brother with Ghostbusters, you know. She would just like randomly just burst into song about Beauty and the Beast. If we were at a store and one of the songs came on, she would start doing the dance and doing whatever down the aisle. Uh, I have seen this literally more times than I can count. I've seen this. This was the seventh time I've seen it. Yeah, and then tossing. I've, the seen, I've seen other Disney movies much more. This is this is. I would say this is right in the middle for me as far as Disney movies. It's not one of my favorites and it's not one of the worst ones i think it's uh overrated but i don't think it's bad i just think everybody thinks it's better than it is well you gotta oh go ahead i was gonna say you gotta know where it's where it's coming from because it was after aladdin and it was after uh little mermaid so and that was kind of like the resurgence of uh disney animation at the time it was they had a real slump in the late 80s of you know their animation and their car- their movies just were not doing well at all, and then Ellen Megan well, came. Sword in the Stone, yeah, did not make any money at all for them, yeah. which is sad because I love that movie. Yeah, and yeah. Then, and then like uh, Rescuers Down Under, while in itself is not a great movie, did not. I mean, is a, is a you know a good movie, but it just did not do as well as they were hoping, and that would just turned. They just kept 
cranking these out like that. Then uh, Alan Menken came along and wrote the songs for, uh, you know, uh, Little, Little Mermaid. Mermaid. Yeah, and that's where you get Menken and Ashman, right? Who completely turned the company around, like we were talking about earlier, because mm-hmm. they stayed with their original, you know, the hand-drawn animation, but the songs just became ten times better. I mean, it's the music and the you know, Little Little Mermaid. I mean, that's a story everybody knows, even before they before they did it. But it was the songs, it was the music, it was the soul that they put into it. I mean, honestly, I've I personally have a. Uh, copy a cd of the little mermaid soundtrack just because there's great fun songs on there i mean it's this is the point where under, they, under the sea is a great song oh yeah kiss what? the girl is a great song well mm-hmm. and as a child from this movie i really was all about you know what i did see of it i remembered like everybody does be our guest mm-hmm. and then you get a little older and you remember how fun the gaston song is but as an adult i really appreciate the opening song Oh, bonjour! Yeah, bonjour, little town. Yeah, there, Oh, I love it. Again, one of my criteria for uh, whether or not I was going to enjoy the live action is I was like, this movie succeeds or fails based on how well they do. Guest on bonjour and be our guest. Mm-hmm. You could almost like have the rest of the movie be crap, and if you nail those three, you're ninety percent of the way there. I Spoiler agree. alert, they didn't. We'll go we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> I, I have a feeling there's gonna be some arguing. Yeah, there's <laughs> there is there is a cartoon that somebody made of Bell singing that song. And it's like uh it's the verse there goes the baker with his tray as always, same old breads and loaves to sell. Wouldn't and, she know his name? Well, here's the thing, is that in the in the cartoon you know, he, she's, same old breads and leaves to sell. And in the background you just hear him, there's a tear in his eye, and he goes, Well, fuck you too, Bell. All right. Now that the barge has dropped Joel back off. Yes. <laughs> the, the ships have taken Joel away, and then they have brought him back. I'm back from shore leave. Yes, he is. <laughs> so we're talking about the songs, because, I mean, the, the story, obviously, is fairly simple. Disney fare, at, at least until you get to the midpoint where they kind of break the fairy tale uh, normal plot by having her go back to her father, which I, I think is one of the reasons why people remember this. But the music is really what draws people to this, in my opinion. Well, I mean, it was an Oscar-nominated movie and an Oscar-nominated song, so, yeah. Yeah. What about you, Joel? What's your take on the songs? Um, I I agree with that. I mean, I was never a big fan of the the film itself. I mean, I've seen it several times, but um, uh, they definitely stick out. And even when I was watching the remake, I mean, you're immediately taken back to the original, even though the songs are in a different context. So yeah, they're kind of timeless. Nice. So what did you think about what, one of the things that I really enjoy about Disney movies, especially this time, because this is actually where they were wrapping up their actual hand drawn animation studio. So this is right before you start to make the transition into computer assisted. Yeah. Animation computer. Yeah. The the whole, the, the whole ballroom scene the entire like background of the ballroom, like all the windows and everything, that was the first ever fully CGI created Disney scene background scene. Mm-hmm. You could kind of see it too. Oh yeah. Well, it's like when Aladdin, when they did that with the the carpet, you couldn't tell the carpet was, but the scene with like the the Cave of Wonders and stuff was awful. Well, and that's- oh yeah, the sand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. yeah it, st- it sticks out now, but back then, it, you know, 
it was just kind of innovative and people were, you know, a little, they were a little more forgiving because yeah, well, but, not not the purists, obviously, but I mean, well, I mean, the ever, the average viewers are like, oh, look, Martha, it's okay. They did, they did that on one of those computer boxes. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, that's definitely that you are correct. Like the, the ballroom scene, the, uh, candelabras and all the stained glass in the ceiling was all done on computer, computer animation. Um, and now you're, I mean, the computer animation has come to, you know, gotten so good that it, well, even they earlier, can, they can make an entire character out of them now. Well, yeah, I mean, we've all Grandpa seen, Tarkin. we've all seen the, uh, the Iron Giant, right? Oh, yeah. I have not. Okay. Well, I haven't I, either. Several times in the past week, what? actually. It's on yeah, Netflix. I know. You have to watch it. Vin I, I just saw Wreck It Ralph like four days ago. Oh, Wreck It Ralph is so good. Yeah. That's Iron one Giant. of my favorite animated movies, actually. Okay. Iron Giant is one of my favorite. Well, yeah, Iron Joel, you've seen Iron Giant. Did you know that the Iron Giant character is all computer generated? I thought he might be, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, they did a, they, the way they animated him with a. And so is Vin Diesel, strangely enough. Yeah, not many people know that. He actually was live action for Groot. Mm-hmm. That's what he actually looks like. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I mean, animation and computer animation has come a long way from being the kind of glossy standout type thing that it was back then. The, but the, the creepy Polar Express. Oh, oh yeah. It doesn't help that the conductor looks like my dad. <laughs> sometimes the, sometimes when he's mad at me, he'll just dress as the conductor and stand outside on my front lawn and point at me with his little clicker thing. <laughs> You're going for a ride. Um. Anyway, okay, I went to a dark place. <laughs> Yes, you did. <laughs> Josh, what do you think of the animation? I mean, it's showing its age now, but I, overall, I, I got to see this with fresh eyes. I, I didn't have my early 90s uh, anti-Disney uh, sort of preconceived notions, and I appreciate it overall for what it was at the time and uh, its place in animation history. And that's the thing. It, I mean, this the animation itself... Like you said, it it has aged a bit. It's still it's still excellent. I mean, it's still compared to you know a lot of the stuff that's out there even nowadays. It's it's great, but um, it does have a little bit of an age to it. But I think you're correct in the where it stands in its history is that it was like we were trying. Like I said, we had the um, Aladdin and Little Mermaid before it, and they had these two nonstop hits with it and and it was kind of like all right is three the charm you know is this where they is this where it bottoms out on them but no i mean it's they've you know learned something in the early 90s that's kept them going for quite a long way now so no kidding and And now we're seeing them try something different revisiting these classics and doing them as live action movies and seeing if uh transferring them to the sort of new medium. I mean, it's still movies, but it's no longer animation and seeing what they can do with that. Yeah, that's exactly it. Which this is our second take on that exact theme. Yep. Previous one on uh, the jungle book. So are we just going to call that a transition or do we have more to say about the original? What do we got to say about the death? I know the the Gaston's death. No, they actually, um, Gaston has appeared in uh in a straight to DVD movie, so he, according to canon, he did not die. What? Uh, what, what? Yeah, that's the truth. It was otherwise, a singing. Otherwise they, could, they couldn't have Gaston at Disney. 
It was a singing, talking cannon that said he didn't die. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so what's what did they say in the? Did you see this version, Pat, or is this just what you've read? No, it's what I read. I just wondered how they, yeah. how he was not dead. They said he fell into a river. Oh okay. shit! Oh my god! Okay, I just just to check, I typed in "Is Gaston dead?" and got this. Uh, July six, two thousand fifteen. Devin Staples, the guy who plays Gaston at Disney World, died instantly when he put a firework on his head and lit it. Yeah. What? Celebrating the Fourth of July. Yep. That is. Holy shit, that got dark. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? Devin was no not the guys, kind of person guys, who, yeah, who, not the kind of person who would do something stupid, Cody told the New Daily News. No, I think that's... There was no rushing him to the hospital. There was no Devin left when I got there. Holy crap. <laughs> All right, we should end it here because... I can't, I, how, how do we follow that up? I don't know, man. I got nothing. <sighs> I was I was gonna say it's kind of a gruesome death, but then life imitates art, I guess. Yeah, and it looks like uh he only reappeared uh as in House of Mouse. Oh, and House of Mouse has like a whole villains type thing, so that's like there's like a Yeah, it's not like Beauty and the Beast two direct to video. Yeah. As far as I can tell from the Disney website. Okay. Because I keep trying to think if they bring back like uh uh, uh, what's the the big creature from Little Mermaid that blows into a bunch of little pieces? Oh yeah, she's in there too. Ur- Ursula. Ursula. Urs- yeah, because right. House of Mouse is kind of like what all the what all the cartoon characters do on their off days. Okay. See, so, yeah, it's kind of like them all hanging out at the club together, and there's a bunch of villains that hang out at one side of the club. Why do I know this shit? Jesus Christ, what's wrong with because you? Because you have two daughters, yeah. right? <laughs> no. All right, we're gonna take a break here, and I'm gonna go reevaluate my life. <laughs> You have all the. If I knew all that, that would be a little. Well, no, that that wouldn't be weird either. Uh, if jo- if Josh knew all that, that would be weird. Maybe not. I think we've all got reason enough that it wouldn't be that weird. We all know all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah, I, I am. I don't tolerate not knowing something about pop culture for very long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, we'll be back. All right, everybody, we are back, and we are talking about Beauty and the Beast 2017. Same story, same Disney, now there's people. <laughs> like, real people. This is the, uh, the pretty much the exact same story. Gaston, Belle, the whole uh, group of them. And uh, this is directed by Bill Condon, who is known for Dreamgirls, Kinsey, two Twilight movies... And strangely enough, Mr. Holmes, which was a movie that was enjoyed by all of us when we did our uh, Sherlock Holmes show. Which one was that one? Mr. Holmes. That was the one with um, Ian McKellen as uh, Sherlock Holmes. When he, with the, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So. Yep. Yep. Nom, nom, nom. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, this, even for the voices, you've got pretty much an all-star cast going into this one. Yeah, you do. You have, we have Emma Watson as Belle. Dan Stevens as the Beast, 
Uh, Luke Evans as Gaston, Josh Gad. <laughs> Luke Evans is Gaston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty much. He, that is, he is complete. He was easily my favorite character in this. Oh yeah, credit. yeah. He was. He was a and he, and you can tell that he's he was having a good time doing it too. Uh, Josh Gad is Lefou. Well, I mean, for an actor, that's a, that's a perfect role because you get to you get to eat the screen and the scenery just because that's what he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he hams it up. I mean, Gaston as a character hams it up, and Luke Evans took full full advantage of that. Uh, Kevin Klein, holy cow, as Maurice, the toy maker, not the. Uh, would you call him an invent, uh, inventor? I yeah, well, I would was, say he was, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. He was an inventor in the original. I'd call him a clockmaker in this one. Yeah, clockmaker made like little wind up uh, music boxes and that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, Hattie Morhan as the Ag- Agatha. Agatha, 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 yeah, Agatha, and, and also the Enchantress. Yep. Oh, hey Joel, you want to do it? Spoilers. Uh, do what? Spoilers. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Um, Spoilers. <laughs> Hayden Gwynn as Clothilda. Why do I not know that character? I am. Oh, you know what? I think that it was Clothilda. I think she's the one that was married to um, to Cogsworth. I she believe was, you're correct. The ah. really creepy wardrobe thing, right? No. No, no. Oh, Hayden you know, Gwynn was right. Yeah, was, was, yeah. No, yeah, no, 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 no. Because uh, the actress who uh, played the wardrobe was African American, and Hayden Gwynn definitely is not. Oh no, definitely no. not. She was, yeah, she was married to. She was, she was the evil witch woman who kept was ready to burn down everything. Yeah, and uh, Gerald Horan uh, is Jean de Potter as Mister Pot, uh, not Terry Jones, who I thought he was the entire time I was watching the movie. Uh, Ray Fearon is Pierre. Ian McGregor as Lumiere, Ian McKellen as Cogsworth, Emma Thompson as Mrs. Potts, Nathan Mack as Chip, Audra McDonald, this is what you were thinking, Joel, as Madame Garderobe, and then Stanley Tucci as Maestro Cadenza. Yeah. Yeah. Stanley Tucci was fantastic. I didn't know that until just now. (laughs) It was Stanley Tucci? Yeah, Yeah, I didn't realize Stanley Tucci was in this. Oh, did you not stick with it through the uh, uh, credits? I did. Oh wait! So they, they were they were like post credit something. Well, no. The uh, start of the credits, they introduced each of the characters with the actors' names right. Oh, under the, it. the version I saw cut out as soon as the movie was done. I didn't get any credits or nothing. Oh. So what you get when you when you download a janky version? Got it. So uh, Ryan Gosling apparently was offered the role of the Beast, but turned it down to appear in La La Land. And Emma Watson was offered the lead role in La La Land, but turned that down to star in this one. So well, Ryan she Gosling. wanted. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, Ryan Gosling would have been staring at his feet either way when he danced. Yeah. Well, Emma Watson has wanted to play Belle forever. And you look at Dan Stevens with the hair, like he looked like the human beast mm-hmm. from yeah, the, the cartoon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, some other twisties of decis- decisions made about movies. Ian McKellen, sorry, Sir Ian McKellen, originally turned down doing the voice of Cogsworth in the original Beauty and the Beast in 1991. What? And this time around, he went, you know what? I think I'll get on that train. <laughs> I like David Ogden Steers, though, so I, I, I was happy with him as Cogsworth. Oh, yeah. He Both did a great versions, job. I think, were acceptable. Yeah. 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 Uh, and according to Ewan McGregor, the hardest part about playing Lumiere was getting the character's French accent right, although his wife of 20 years is, in fact, French. He said the voice ended up sounding Mexican instead of French, so he had to redo all his dialogue after filming had completed. That dude is one of the hardest-working actors. Yeah, he is. 
he just will not tolerate anything less than perfection. So this trivia does not surprise me at all. No. no. Uh, Ewan McGregor performed Lumiere's dances in motion cap. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was just thinking about how Ewan McGregor is so good. He was the only thing that didn't stink in Phantom Menace. Yeah. Yeah. He does kind of stand out. Uh, Ewan McGregor performed Lumiere's dances in mocap. However, he was embarrassed at wearing the motion capture suit with all the balls on it, and he couldn't dance properly unless he was completely alone, just with the filming crew, and he also kept making lightsaber sounds with the candlesticks. (laughs) (laughs) Perfection! Yes. (laughs) Uh, He's still trying to get Phantom Menace better. (laughs) Yeah. I can do this, I swear. Uh, According to Emma Watson, when her character was to be intentionally struck in the face by a snow boulder... um, (laughs) <laughs> the whole sequence required numerous attempts until a satisfactory hit was accomplished. In the end, she had to lean into it. Uh, <laughs> it was just like, we're going to chuck a snowball at you. Make sure it hits you in the face. So she had to keep herself moving around for that one. And then uh, Luke Evans, Gaston, had to wear fake teeth during filming because he has canines that are longer than normal and he kind of looks like a vampire. <laughs> Interesting, he did play the vampire in 2014's Dracula Untold. Nice. So, And then Emma, Emma Watson is currently previously set to star in another Beauty and the Beast film that was set up at Warner Brothers. I'm sorry, she was previously set to star in another Beauty and the Beast film that was set up at Warner Brothers with Guillermo del Toro to direct. Yeah, it's getting to the point where attaching Guillermo del Toro to something is a guarantee it's not going to happen. Mm. <laughs> Let me start at about Hellboy 3. Yeah. So, well, we know how Pat saw this. <laughs> Janky copy. I went to see this the Saturday after it came out in the morning for the matinee. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah. In a arena full of children. But Fuck that. <laughs> okay. I do have to say... It was cool to hear all these innocent little children that have, think about this, they've never seen Emma Watson as anything but Belle now. There's a whole oh, generation. they don't even know her as Hermione. I mean, yeah, that we're talking about the kids who are shorter than the seats coming in. And huh. What else was kind of cool is that there was a lot of kids like dressed up, there were a little girl dressed up as Belle, had the yellow dress on and all that to come see it. So there was like this kind of, you know, it was a cool feel to it. Um, and then when things happened in there, like when uh, Beast got shot and hearing all these little kids, <gasps> you know, them really getting into it, that sort of thing was kind of fun. Uh, but yeah, no, I went I went and saw it at the theater the Saturday after this. And I have to say I stepped into it as a remake. Live action was my bar was set pretty low. I have to say I enjoyed this. Um, I, I, my expectations were sort of in the middle because we all liked the jungle book. So I, I was willing to give this a chance. And, uh, from the moment we got through the, uh, bonjour scene, I was, I was there. I, I there were some pacing issues, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to say it was perfect, but, uh, it, it does not move as fast as the original. Uh, it, it drags in some spots, but uh, in my opinion, maybe the voices don't all measure up to the originals, but that's kind of unfair. I think they nailed the songs. I do too. Well, I disagree. With what? That they nailed the songs. Well, I thought, uh, I thought to a number, every song was weaker in this version than in the first one, especially 
the the be our guest. I was I was just so disappointed in everything, but Ian, but um, but you and McGregor. Honestly, it, I mean, I thought all the animation and all the I, it was just slower paced, not as good, not as I did. I didn't like the this version of be our guest. Huh. See, I, I didn't necessarily prefer it, but I thought it was what I wanted out of a live action version. Mm-hmm. Now, see, I just I thought like even the choreography was better in the animated version. Hmm. I just I don't know. I mean, Emma Watson's voice is not obviously as strong as a professional singer, so I mean, I'll get I'll give her a little slack on that, you know. And but even you know, my my favorite song in the in the movie is uh, not "Be Our Guest." It's actually the the song about Gaston because it's just lyrically it's really funny, and they changed the words, and you know, it just I don't know. I didn't care for it. I mean. I thought I thought overall all the songs were much weaker in this one. Uh, another thing that uh, I noticed, and Sarah and I were talking about a lot, is most of the stuff that was added was patching over major plot holes from the cartoon. Yeah, and some of it felt like they felt they they I, I felt like they felt like they needed to either explain or um, um, not really not really explain, but like cover up for things that you know were like. 80s ish in the first movie, and they're like, maybe we need to explain. You know, I don't know how to explain it, but like there was a couple times when I was like, I, I felt like a scene was put in just because they were like, well, we need to justify this or that and make it less awful or whatever than it was in the first movie. So some of it was necessary, you know. Yeah, there were bits in Be Our Guest where you look at the original and she talks about how hungry she is and she barely eats. Right. Where in this, the uh, dishes are all about serving her, but forget that she ne- they all forget she needs to eat stuff. So they're accidentally, while they're dancing, constantly pulling the food away from her. Yeah, she all which, she's left with is uh, cupcake at the end. Right. Yeah. Which I thought was really uh, cool and clever. Um, there were a few additions that were, I agree with you, a little over-explaining. I, I didn't necessarily need the entire subplot that kind of dragged about what the deal was with Belle's mother. Right. Yeah. I, I didn't. Yeah. That yeah. Took me. The whole the whole like adding the book and going to Paris and yeah, finding out about the mother. It's like it just yeah, it didn't really add anything. I, I'm with you on that. All, all it did was mess with the flow of the story and the pacing. And sure. OK, the original, it's never addressed. Where's her mom? But does it really need to be? Yeah, it's, it's just not part of the story. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the mom left, if the mom died, if the mom was was an alien like in Gal- you know Guardians of the Galaxy it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, that would have been No, I I'm with you on that, but in general the changes I thought uh made some sense where it was just like we gave this stuff a pass because it's a Disney movie don't think about it too much. But there's a lot of like flawed logic and they did cover some of those holes throughout the course of the movie, which I appreciate it. Yeah, there are new songs in this one. I think out of the new ones, the one that Beast sang near the end is probably the strongest of the new songs. Yeah, absolutely. It starts uh, really slow, but r- grew on me real quick. Yeah. I mean, I was expecting initially, I was like, I uh, expecting like this ballad, you know, cause expected to get really sappy and which it kind of did, but Dan Stevens really pulled it off on there. I mean, he it, really, it easily could have gone into the up there category from, you know, uh, from South park, bigger, longer and uncut. And it didn't. So, yeah, well, and also I thought it was interesting that Dan Stevens' singing voice 
Uh, you look at the original movie and the beast's speaking voice and singing voice don't sound like they're from the same individual where in the live action, it's very clearly the same person. Well, the opposite with Gaston though, you could tell that his singing voice was not his was not Luke Evans. That's fair. But I, one of the things that I absolutely loved in, in this, in, in this version, I loved the look of the beast. I thought, I thought he, I thought they nailed that. So good. Yeah. And the castle was really imaginative. Yeah. Uh, they did a really good job in some spots recognizing what works in a cartoon and couldn't possibly work in live action and making the appropriate changes. Like the whole weird invention thing and Chip saving Belle and her father. Yeah, yeah. Mm. They, they ha- that's the reason why they completely changed uh, Kevin Klein's Maurice from inventor to clockmaker. Um, yeah, now he would know how a lock worked. <laughs> the super cartoony battle between the uh, house staff and the village. Uh, I, they changed the tone of it and made it work. Mm-hmm. If you tried to do that shot by shot, it would just look stupid. Mm-hmm. I agree so, with that. Yeah, I, I really appre- I thought they made some intelligent choices, uh, but it's almost the the only thing I keep coming back to is uh, because I rewatched the cartoon after seeing the movie. When I rewatched the cartoon, I was like, "Wow, yeah, the the movie was good, but it was kind of slow." Yeah, it did drag. I want to say. When you were talking about Maurice, I think Kevin Klein was fantastic as Maurice. Well, they definitely expanded the character because it was Kevin Klein playing him. Oh yeah, for sure. No which argument may, there. Which may have added a little bit into like the book and that sort of thing to give give Maurice a little bit more backstory and why he's you know why the mom isn't there. Fine, whatever. But I mean, I think my personally my favorite moment with uh, Maurice is after they escaped out of the um, out of the back of the the, the uh, wagon. That was taking him to the asylum, and uh, what's his name? The uh, the guy who's who is driving it from the asylum when he comes walking up and he's just saying, "Goes, do you have kids?" <laughs> and he just starts making small talk. You know, it's just like, and I I I love the fact that Kevin Klein in it was in it, and I, he did a great job. And then Emma Thompson as Mrs. Potts. I mean, I think she did a I think she did a fantastic job considering what she was up against. Sure, she had really, really big shoes to fill, and that's I think is that's I think is one of the things that we have to consider with all these characters, you know, especially the animated ones. Is people have been loving on that original one for two decades, you know, and it's it's gotten to the point, and you know, like you said, in, in some in our heads, we haven't seen it in a while. We remember all these great parts about it, and then you go to see the live action one, and Emma Thompson does Mrs. Potts, and you better hope that you know she's doing a great job at it. Ian McKellen as Cogsworth. I have to say, Ewan McGregor did a great job as Lumiere, but I'm still going back to the original. I still think that uh, Orbach did a did a better job. You know, it's you know that's where uh, you know that's where I stand on that one. But it's a, uh, how do you feel about all the changes, Joel? Um, I you know not being a huge fan of the original, I I enjoyed all the adaptations of it that the people took. Um, I think the wardrobe was scary as all hell. <laughs> Uh, it, it freaked me out on several level levels. And, um, it, you know, it was funny as I was watching it as I kept waiting for a murder to happen and then to go solve a crime, but it never happened. <laughs> and there was, there was no NASCAR. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> thanks, Pat. My, my overwhelming 
feeling on this movie was I just honestly didn't know why it was necessary, why it was needed. I mean, it was almost a shot-for-shot remake of the original with with more things added that weren't necessarily necessary. And I just felt kind of like it it was like the remake of Psycho, where where I was just like, I don't really know if we needed this. It wasn't not it, it was it was entertaining and it was well done and you know it looked beautiful but I just I don't really think it was something that needed to be made. Well, I don't know. I, I like the new Disney order with them doing one original cartoon and then a live action remake of something classic each year. I just I like that that's a thing. You're about to say though, Joel? Oh, I was just going to say I think I think the Jungle Book did it better. Mhm. As far as the the live action take. Cause I kind of agree with Pat that when I was watching, I was like, you're not really bringing a whole lot new to the table other than a couple of changes to things that happened. Mm-hmm. And in the extended running time was, it was about a half hour longer. But other than that, it, it, it was basically the, the original brought to life with not a lot different or, well, I guess you yeah. can't really and, change too much. And well, uh, you know, I, I really appreciated, you know, any, I, I, I'm a big fan of Kevin Klein, like all of us are. And, you know, I appreciate any time you could put him in something, but I mean, if you if you need to expand the role just to add him, you know, I mean, it almost feels like you know, why not just get a smaller guy and keep the role the way it was? I get that. I, I don't know. I aside from the pacing issues that we were we've all touched on, mm-hmm. uh, just the little stuff that uh, I didn't realize how much it should have bugged me in the original. Like, why does the town full of illiterates have a huge bookshop? <laughs> right. And, and I, I did like that they had only like eight books in their library. That right. Was, yeah. And it wasn't even really a library. It was the uh, Père Robert, the, the local priest, happens to have eight books because he's a priest. Yeah. Yeah. He's the other person who can read. And, you know, and, and the whole thing of like, you know, getting mad that they're, you know, he, she's teaching another girl to read. I was just kind of like, I get what they're going for there. But I mean, it was, you know, I don't know. It felt a little, uh, a little forced as far as, you know, like, like I could, in the in the first movie, nobody you know related to her or liked her because she was different, but nobody hated her. Right, but that whole idea was explicitly stated in the original by Gaston when he's like, "Well, first women start to read, then they start having ideas." Mm-hmm. So it's not like the the typical complaint of oh they're just retranslating it to be politically correct. It's those attitudes were present in the original. Yeah, I get it, but like I said, there, it wasn't an outright hatred for her like it was in this movie. Yeah, so in the, in the original oh. one, it was more like, oh, she's she's weird. We kind of want nothing to do with her, but nobody was like throwing her laundry out because she put a donkey on there. Yeah, sure. exactly. I, I got that. Uh, so were, are, are, I mean, the, the town was just seemed a little more malicious in this version. Mm-hmm. Are we ready to talk about LeFou? Okay, here's the thing. I'm go- telling people I'm going to go see this. Oh, there's this, there is this huge rig- rigmarole on my Facebook page about people saying that there's a gay character in this. Josh, what was it you said when you found out about <laughs> My that? reaction when I heard there was a gay character in the live action Beauty and the Beast was like, what, besides LeFou? Because yeah. he was squishy as fuck in the original. <laughs> and I, I agree with you on that. It's like we saw this. I knew it. I personally think the whole thing. The whole commentary about it was them just trying to stir up a little bit more attention for a movie that didn't need it. Um, Le, Le Fleur was was swishy. He had a thing, you know. He, I don't even know. It's everything that everybody got all worked up about. It wasn't there. Yeah, in the first movie, I mean, it wasn't necessarily explicit that he was gay, but he definitely had a man crush on Gaston 
Sure. And it was more explicit in this one for sure. Uh, They still don't quite go all the way, but you can tell. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it it was, it was such a small insignificant part of his character. Really? It's not, I mean, it's not like he was running around, you know, like given, you know, given blowjobs and glory holes or anything. Right. That's in the director's cut. Yeah. I don't think Disney's quite there. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just but saying, like, oh, it's just he just a character that happens, you know, happens to like men, whatever. Yeah. You know, I mean, they they didn't they didn't even focus on it. I mean, it, it's not like he had a boyfriend or anything. No, there was the little nod at the end with the guy who uh, got dressed up uh, in drag by the uh, by the wardrobe. wardrobe and decided he kind of liked it. And there's just that moment where they come together in the dance, and then they cut away. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and again, and even, even kids would just find that funny. They wouldn't find it like, oh, I, I, now I'm gay. <laughs> yeah, that's the, and that's the thing is like people when I you know I talk to people they're like, oh, you went to what 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 did what happened? It was just like it was nothing. It was like I said before. It was I've seen worse watching an old uh, Peter Sellers uh, Pink Panther movie. We, we we saw more gayness from Will Berlinski in A Midsummer Night's Dream. Yikes! Oh, by the way, after I finish the movie, I'm gay now. <laughs> So you know. Joel, Joel, I got news for you. It's not now. <laughs> <laughs> Has nothing to do with the movie. <laughs> oh, that's news to me. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, you think about it in the original. I mean, that character was, uh, he idolized Gaston, and he was going to do anything to please him. So it wasn't so much, uh, you know, necessarily has to be a homosexual thing so much as just he's a guy who wanted to be Gaston and, and the best thing he could do was be right by his side at all times and be his lackey. And I kind of saw that in this until that last scene, which again was kind of a throwaway kind of, haha. Okay. Moving on. So yeah, I don't, I don't get the hubbub. I I don't know that it's that explicit, but I do I guess think, Oh, sorry, Joel. There's overtones. What were you going to say? I was going to say, I do think that during the Gaston song where he grabs Gaston's arms and crosses his arms yeah. him, and he's like too much. Yeah, too much. And this is, I, th- I thought that was hilarious. It, it was. It w- and, and the Gaston song itself, I think, was, uh, you know, here's a song, you know the words, ham it up. Yeah, and it was different, and it did lose something from some of the lines that were changed. But it also gained a few things. When uh, LeFou is singing and suddenly realizes he's illiterate and can't spell Gaston mm-hmm. mid-song, that was fucking hilarious. Yeah, I like that part. Well, and I always like to hear you and McGregor sing. Ever since Moulin Rouge, it was crazy though when they revealed him in his human form at the end. He was completely unrecognizable to me. Oh, uh, really? I I would agree with that. Yeah, he def- definitely didn't look like you and McGregor. He looked like John Leguizamo in a in a wig. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I did like about it? Uh, one more thing that they added that didn't happen the original one is the, that. Little by little, they all were turning into the items that they were. And at yeah, the that end, was kind of every time a pedal fell, they, they got closer to being the machines that they were. Yeah, mm-hmm. and at that the was end, a, that was a, that was a, oh, an improvement. Yeah, I yeah. would I would definitely go with that. And it changed the tension, and it more explained why Beast freaked out when Bell got near the rose. Because in the original, uh, a pedal drops every year, dude. If it's not your birthday, chill the fuck out. Right. Then you have the whole he was only eleven thing. Yeah. For Did, 10 years we've been rusting. Yeah, 10 years we've been rusting. You it's coming up on his 21st birthday. So this chick 
walked in on an 11 year old kid. Now, this is one of the, one of the videos that, uh, the girls were watching about this. They walked in on an 11 year old kid. A strange woman shows up at the door in the middle of the night. An 11 year old kid answers the door. Creepy old woman offers him a rose to come in. He does the right thing and says, no, I probably shouldn't let you in the house. And he gets cursed for it. <laughs> the, That's a good point. What the hell? This poor kid's just doing, you know, hey, if a creepy... Now old, all these kids are going to let anybody with a rose in the door. Yeah, so if you want to sneak into somebody's house nowadays, just offer them a rose in the middle of the night. And they clearly answered why the entire village didn't know there was this huge freaking castle less than a day's walk away. Mm-hmm. Yep. I did notice that they explained that. The other thing that was kind of tragic, well, not kind of tragic, was really tragic about that is that the curse only took over the people that were in the castle at the time. So Mrs. Potts and her son worked at the castle, but the husband didn't. So he didn't change and then forgot about his wife and wife and son until the very end with Mr. Potts. And the the same with Cogsworth. Yeah. Well, his wife wasn't there. Yeah. (laughs) Turn me back to a clock. Turn me back to a clock. (laughs) So yeah, so that I like that was another level of kind of like uh, a little bit level as much drama as you can get in something like this to it. That you know you have these whole families that have been split by this curse because an eleven year old kid did what he was supposed to do and not let a creepy old lady in the house in the middle of the night. Yeah, let that be a lesson to any kids listening. Always let the creepy people in if they have a rose. Right. So are we ready to go to a thumbs up, thumbs down on uh, yeah both of them? Yeah. All right, everybody at once. I'll I'll start. Uh, Originally, the Beauty and the Beast it was a thumbs down for me back in the day, and as I got older, that thumb started turning up, and it's firmly like thumbs up on this. And I really, despite the couple of pacing problems and unnecessary added scenes, I was really enchanted by Beauty and the Beast. So this is a thumbs up. (laughs) Pretty enthusiastic from me for both of them. He said enchanted. I would say I'm a like a three quarter thumbs up on both of them. I think I'm it's, not my, it's not my favorite animated movie of Disney at all, but um, it's like I said, it's definitely not in my bottom. And I enjoyed the remake. I just ne- didn't necessarily see the need for it, but I enjoyed it. So yeah, I got a I got a thumbs up on the first one. I like it. It's good. Oh, you know, if it comes on, it's a fifty fifty shot if I'll turn it on if I'll keep watching it or not. But I don't dislike it. Um, the new one, it's, it's, like I said, I walked into it. My bar wasn't real high for it. It's better than I expected, but I don't think I'll be rushing out to buy the DVD when it comes out. I agree with that. Yeah. I'm probably never going to buy this. But... So is that a thumbs up reluctantly a, or? Uh, really, yeah. It's kind of like a, a 45 degree thumbs up. <laughs> Another level. A, a half mast. Um, uh, the first one never hit me like Aladdin did. Um, and I, 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 seeing it again, that's probably the first time I've seen it in a decade. And I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I still, like I said early on in the show, that the songs are still very iconic and I know them just from hearing them over and over in various contexts. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely a thumbs up as a solid Disney movie. And, and this remake didn't grab me like Jungle Book did, but I wasn't quite sure what to expect. And so even even with that being said and my kind of half-heartedness with it, it was still very well done. It was very nice to look at. And even with the pacing issues that we've mentioned several times, I, I still think I'd give it a thumbs up. I mean, especially looking at it from the perspective Mike did, 
where you have a theater full of kids that are just as enchanted by it who maybe haven't seen the original or this is their first time with this, you know, obviously in this version, it's their first time and their reaction to it. That proves to me that, you know, there's something more to it that maybe, you know, I should have seen it with younger kids, maybe would appreciate it more. Yeah, I think we can all agree that uh, even though they doubled down on the musical aspect, because a lot of people's complaints about the Jungle Book is how much of the music was cut. Um, this was overall not as great as the Jungle Book was. And maybe yeah. that's why it's because the Jungle Book took it and made it something a little different, but retained the the core storyline and characters. Minus yeah. the Bad King Louis song. Right. Bah. Yeah. So I'm still disappointed in that. Look, it's funny. Whenever we do the thumbs up, some thumbs down, someone's either got a sideways thumb or a 45 degree thumb or a slightly south of the equator thumb. I know we we need a <laughs> word for that. Maybe our evaluation system is flawed. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Maybe we need to start doing out of 10. <laughs> with a Band-Aid on it. I don't know. We start it's going to, we start going to out of 10. And someone's like, well, I think I'm an 8.26. <laughs> Joel would be like, I'm pi out of five, out of ten. <laughs> it's a three quarters of a four. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, on tap for next week, uh, we've talked about a lot of food. We've done a lot of uh, meals. We've done drinks. We've done restaurants. We've done barbecue. But one thing that we have left off of our plates, if you will, uh, are the veggies and sides. So, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about the vegetables we loved and or hated as kids. Uh, we're going to be able to talk about uh, how they've our attitudes have changed or not as adults. Mm-hmm. Um, what sides you do at Thanksgiving and Christmas. And sure. And what do you have that, with your traditional family sides? We're going to publish yeah. the 40 going on 14 cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. I think we should do that. I think between the four of us, we can put together a good book. I get a half a thumb. <laughs> no, you don't eat thumbs, Joel. You shouldn't. Maybe he does. I don't know. <laughs> Finger sandwiches. I don't judge him. Um, <laughs> so before we... Oh, oh good. I was just going to say, if uh, you want to tell us if you agree with our assessment of the new trend of the Disney live action films or uh, want to disagree about whether the songs were good or not, just give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Right on. If you're looking for our older stuff, you can find us on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and TalkShoe. And I'm promising more older shows are going to be coming up this week. You were about to say, though, Joel? Oh, I was just going to throw this out there for anybody who uh, is not familiar with Dan Stevens, who played The Beast. If um, you want to see a really great role for him, there's a film by Adam Wingard called The Guest. It's a uh, an 80s throwback action movie, but with horror direction. And it's phenomenal. So if you like Dan Stevens and you want to see uh, something unique, go check it out. Just throwing it out there. Well, all right, then. Cool. All right. So there you go. And uh, thanks for listening. And we'll have a new show for you out next week. Ta-da. Be our guest and shit. Nobody wraps up awkwardly like Gaston. (laughs) Wah. Yeah, you think you I know, know your it. name, damn it. <laughs> Joel arrives and pulls the air horn. <laughs> you guys there? <laughs> yeah, it's, what the fuck? 
is all right to come out from under the you, table. You might want to mark that time. Yeah, I am right now. <laughs> Jesus Christ. What the hell is Joel, I think something's wrong with your connection. All right. <laughs> I hate to say this, but I'm injecting Joel. <laughs> He's going to have to figure that shit out and then come back. <laughs> <laughs>